0: Welcome, I'm your host Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, we talked to Mia Byrne, a trans queer musician and activist. We discussed her career as an art musician and we talked about how she embraces her role as a leader in her community. It was a powerful episode with a lot of lessons for everybody, so I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today, we have a solo episode. I'm going to touch on a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is helping high potential leaders reach their full potential while staying authentic to themselves. Let's dive right in. As an executive coach, I often work with high potential leaders. People have excelled and got themselves to an upper-middle management position or even a senior management position, and they need to take the next step in their growth. This step is one of the biggest challenges in business, because that's the point of one's career where it becomes crucial to develop new skills, and many of the skills that got the person to the promotion may need to take a back seat, or even in some cases may end up hindering them as a leader. Along with developing a new set of skills, it is also a time when a big shift in mindset is needed. So for this episode, I thought I would share a few key thoughts that may help you if you're making that shift right now. Now, these ideas come from a number of sources. First, my personal experience. I spent 20 years in services, and I ended my career as the head of two industry practices and the account management function in a digital marketing agency. Then I transitioned to a C-level role in a private equity-owned company, and now I am the co-founder and COO of another boutique marketing firm. The second source is the work that I do as an executive coach. It's the observation of the challenges and the successes that my clients have as they make this transition. And then finally, obviously, I also keep up to date with the general research and all the literature on the topic. Before we get into the meat of the subject, I would just want to make a couple of observations. First of all... I will not have an explicit point about going from tactical to strategic and being able to establish a strategic vision, because I feel this is sort of table stakes. This is the base condition to succeed at this level. So as I cover all the other points, you will obviously hear some mention of strategy and tactics, but it will be within the context of those other topics. The second thing is that I am not explicitly touching upon diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And that is not because it's not important, but I feel that number one, That's a topic that's important at every level of one's career. And number two, it is a very complex topic. So if you're interested in it, I very strongly encourage you to go back and listen to the episode with Camila Benjamin Fuller, who does a tremendous job of talking about this topic and does a much better job than I could ever do on my own. Now that I've told you what I'm not going to cover, let's talk about what I am going to cover. I have taken the liberty of dividing my thoughts into three broad areas. Each one is a big umbrella area. You may find at some point that I'm stretching things, but I think that once you look at it from an overall standpoint, it will all make sense and will also be something that's easy to relate to. So first, we're going to talk about introspection and self-awareness. It will not be a shocker that in the first part of this conversation, we will cover that from a standpoint of values, goals, and what's meaningful to you. Then we will talk about skills and assessing your own skills and some of the shift that you need to make in relationship to those skills. The second big area that we're going to cover centered around the idea of selflessness and what it means to be selfless in relationship to the firm and in relationship to all the stakeholders that you're working with. Now, this idea will also cover how this philosophy will inform how you manage everyone around you. It will cover how you build your team and it will cover a whole lot of other areas. So it is also another big umbrella idea, if you will. And then finally, the third and really important big area is the area of accountability. What accountability will mean for you individually once you get to that level and then what it means for the people who work with you. So. As I said earlier, it shouldn't be a surprise that the first area I want to cover is how self-awareness and self-analysis are really the foundation of making a successful transition to a more senior position and to really achieve your full potential. It all starts with a check of how your values and your goals can be aligned in your new role and what is important to you about the role. As you progress in your career, understanding how what you're doing fits with your personal mission and your passions is key to your success. That's because at this point, what's asked of you becomes more demanding and more rigorous. The challenges are tougher, the complexity increases exponentially, and there are more stakeholders to placate and mediate with. And overall, the pressure increases. At this stage, your talent and your skills are important, but they're not enough. A crucial driver of your success will be your ability to fully commit to the company and your role. And that requires a lot more alignment with your goals and values and passions. This is a phase of your career where if your main motivation is either the financial rewards or the title and the prestige, at some point, that is not going to be enough to do what is required for you to succeed. That is something that I learned working in high pressure and high rewards organizations like investment banks, blue chip consulting firms. When I look at the most successful partners, managing directors, and the people who ultimately had the biggest titles and the highest financial rewards, it was clear to me that what was driving them was not the money or the prestige. It was their love and their passion for the actual content of the work and for what their day-to-day activities were, the satisfaction that they were deriving out of it. I'm reminded of the conversation I had with a senior partner at a consulting firm while discussing an engagement that they were leading with a really large corporation. It was a multi-year engagement, multiple teams, ton of bureaucracy at the client and very little movement on a day to day basis. And I asked them, how can you find this fun? And their answer was, well, Some people like turning a little sailboat around 180 degrees. I enjoy turning a huge transatlantic ship 10 degrees. And to me, that was an incredible lesson in awareness in like, what do you find interesting about your work? You know, what do you enjoy about it? What's important to you? Now, I'm not saying that compensation and title are not important. As a matter of fact, they're really important for two reasons. The first one is that, people who achieve this level of success and this level of leadership tend to be competitive. And no matter how you look at it, compensation and title are kind of the scorecard. The second reason is that fairness is an important value for many people. And it's important to be fairly compensated for the work that you're doing and for the value you're creating. So let me just conclude this little part about values and compensation by bringing up the opposite example. So the people who are doing incredibly demanding, incredibly tough work in situations situation where they're not compensated a lot of money in absolute terms. You know, people who work for NGOs, people who work in service positions. Once again, their main driver, also in that case, is not the compensation, but it is their personal mission. Okay, so I think this should more than cover the importance of values in finding the right motivation and the right drive to succeed in this environment but there's another really important function that being aware of your values and being really clear about what your values are plays at this level and that's defining who you want to be and how you want to be you know as a leader you know you want to be somebody fun who creates a lighter environment is discipline an important value for you you know what does fairness mean and having a very clear sense of your values will also help you navigate They're really difficult choices that you're going to be inevitably be faced with, whether it is a decision to take a customer or not. Um, It is a decision to let an employee go. All these choices can be really navigated much better and more effectively if you have a keen sense of what your values are and how you're going to act accordingly. Now, when we're talking about a self-assessment, a self-assessment of the values and an understanding of that are just one of the layers. There's another layer which is just as important, and it's a more tactical layer, and it is an honest assessment of your skills and which of your skills got you the promotion. If you think about the early phases of your career, the feedback was always focusing on improving. There was a lot of emphasis on the weaknesses, and there were a lot of suggestions about working on your weaknesses, focusing on those weaknesses. However, as people progress in their career, what gets them promoted and hired is not how well they cure their weaknesses, it is really what they're really good at. So at some point, you need to make a transition into really honing and crafting and already investing in your strengths. So as you think about how your new role and new position relates to your strengths, there's a number of considerations. The first one goes a little bit back to your values and your passions and that hopefully the position is focused on strengths that you love and that you love exercising. The second is understanding the balance of the role. What I mean by that? At any point in your career to be successful, you'd be in a position where a certain percentage of the work involves exercising and using skills that you already have. And then there's a component that is further refining those skills and a component that is learning and picking up new skills it is very difficult for anybody in any role to be put in a position where at least 60% of the content of the work is not based on skills and strengths that they already have, especially as you get put into a new management position. Ideally, as you progress to it, the percentage that is skills that you have sort of becomes larger because you're picking up and developing those new skills. So that's an important part of the analysis. There's also a very counterintuitive part to this, which is as you progress and get to a more and more senior and executive role, the same skills that made you very successful, if you're not careful, may become the same skills that drag you down. And that relates to the ability to shift from actually doing directly to giving up control and managing and giving direction and having confidence that people are gonna execute and do the things that you are really good at doing. Trusting people and being able to delegate also relates to the weaknesses. As you recall, I, I mentioned earlier that there's a point in your career where you really need to hone on your strengths and that doesn't mean that you should ignore your weaknesses. It just means two things. First of all, you need to get a baseline level of competency in the areas that are areas of weakness. And enough competency to be able to direct other people to cover those bases. And then you need to be willing to delegate that work. And that is also a little bit of a challenging task because by definition and default, if you're delegating work in areas that are a little bit of a weakness for you, it means that that work is going to go to people that are more skilled than you. And so it takes a level of comfort and a level of trust with these people to be able to exceed that control so if you're able to do the self-analysis assess your values assess your skills and really kind of formulate a plan for how you're gonna be successful as it relates to that in your new role you were ready to be in a great position so now we can move to the second big area if you will in order to fully achieve your potential as you enter a middle upper level of management, there's a key mindset shift that needs to happen. I have looked for a name to define it that was very broad and I'm gonna call it the mind shift to selflessness. And I like this name number one, because it's very broad and it will cover all the areas that we are gonna talk about, but also because I think it's sort of the step that then gets you to be sort of a servant leader once you get the the pinnacle of leadership. So what do I mean by selflessness? I'm thinking about it in terms of sort of two dimensions. I'm thinking about being selfless towards the business and then being selfless towards your team. So let's talk about the business. Being selfless towards the business means that your first priority is to be fully committed to the success of the firm. So understanding that every decision you're making should be based on what is best for the business. There's an element of subtlety to this. So when I say that every decision you make should be based on what's best to the business, it means that should be based on what you believe is best for the business. And making decision based on what's best for the business, what you believe is best for the business, as two aspects for it. First of all, it means not just saying yes critically to every order that you receive. It means to be willing to form your own opinion of what's the best course, to be able to articulate it, and to be able to advocate on its behalf with senior management. It also means that once you get into a situation where you may disagree with what senior management believes, you need to get to a point where you're either convinced them that your course of action is the best course of action, or if you agree to go along with their course of action, you need to be 100% behind it, even though that wasn't your decision. And if you come to a point where you believe that what you're asked to do is not the best for the company, that's where your values come back into play and you're going to be thinking about a decision whether the role is still the right role for you. And let me just digress on this topic to say that it is a terrifying place to be and it's a very, very difficult decision to take in the short term. But if you talk to anybody who found themselves in their position and made the decision to leave, in the long run, nobody ever regretted it. The second side of being selfless is being selfless towards your team, which means that every decision you make is also based on creating an environment and creating the best situation for your team to succeed. That has a number of implications. It means that you should be willing to let the credit for the work of the team go to your team and then shield the team by taking accountability for things that don't work out. It means that also at any point in time, you will be advocating on behalf of your team towards the rest of the organization. And it also means being willing to make hard and difficult decisions towards the team for the best of the team. So let me just take a quick pause here. You've heard me basically advocate for the fact that in any case and in any scenario, you should put yourself second second towards the business, and second towards the team. The corollary to that is that by making that decision, you will actually benefit yourself because your ability to create success for the company and success for your team will end up in actually personal success for you. And this brings me to another really important aspect of managing this part of the transition. You need to make sure that the organization you're part of is an organization that values and rewards this behavior, which is values the ability to create a win-win-win situation and values the fact that you as a manager in between are able and willing to kind of like trust your organization, trust your team, trust the business that by sort of giving up control and putting yourself into the self-sist role. Not all organizations are like that and... This is also a place where, you know, you may want to do some thinking if you're seeing that taking this type of position will actually damage your position in the career. If you're in an organization that values people claiming all the credit, you know, that it's something that you may want to think about. Um, And I'm not being naive about the fact that there's a certain amount of politicking that goes around, but... There are plenty of organizations where actually this type of behavior is rewarded and not surprising, these are organizations that tend to thrive. After this little digression, there's also another really important component of being in a situation where you're selflessly putting yourself below the success of the team and below the success of the firm. And probably that's the most uncomfortable and the hardest tension for somebody who comes into this role. You're sort of caught in between the two sides senior management on one hand, and your team on the other hand. And most of the time you're gonna find yourself advocating on behalf of senior management when you're talking to your team and advocating on behalf of your team when you're talking to senior management. You know, high growth, high pressure organization that often translates in CEOs, COOs, making unreasonable requests on timelines, on product, and then going back to your team and the team pushing back and you being able on one hand to convince the team to push themselves a little further in their expectation and their willingness to deliver. And on the other hand, you know, advocating with management as to why some of these expectations may not be reasonable. And that you know, that's probably the biggest, toughest challenge in this role that continues moving away from being a member of the team, being a buddy of the team, And then at the same time, you know, being willing to stand up on behalf of your team with senior management and sometimes having hard conversations. There's another aspect that I want to include under the idea of selflessness towards the team, even though it's not really selflessness, It is really more about being able to take a perspective that's centered on the team and not on your own. And let me start this by sort of sharing a story of my career. When I was an analyst for an investment bank, I had a stretch where I was working on two different projects. On one side, I was working for a newly minted associate. So only a couple of years, three years, maybe more of seniority than me. And this person was basically every time I would bring a document, every time I bring a piece of work, this person would go through it in a very micromanaged way and they would make changes just for the sake of making changes, changes to the footnotes, changes to the work, changes that were maybe not necessarily adding value. And so I got to a point where I felt that it really wasn't worth my time to put my best effort in the first or second draft, because I knew that no matter what I did, no matter how perfect the work was, this person would change the work and they would have me redo it. So my goal was just like, okay, I'll I'll bring whatever the first draft and then I'll redo the work because ultimately this person is just gonna make it theirs. In parallel at the same time, I was on a smaller project for a smaller client where I was working directly with a senior vice president. And the senior vice president would just take my models or my slides, take a quick look, and they would go straight in front of the client. So guess what type of quality that work would get? As I was thinking at the time about working style, how I like to be managed, how I was going to manage people, I sort of came into this belief that I really wanted to give the maximum possible freedom to the people who work with me. If you got to the point where you are right now, you probably share some of this perspective. You are most likely a self-starter, somebody who can just love structuring the work and just loves to just being kept accountable for delivering. And you have probably come to the conclusion that the best way to manage people is to manage them the way that you would like to be managed, which is give them as much freedom as possible. So roll forward to about maybe 20 years from that time. And I was senior management running a team of about 20 people. I came in, I'm like, you know, this is going to be the best. You're going to be able to do work the way that you want to do it. I'm just going to give you the maximum freedom. And within a couple of months, I got some feedback that the team felt they didn't have enough direction. And the lesson that I learned looking at the mix of the team is that certain people enjoyed the loose structure, the being told just go do this, do however you want to do it. But there were a number of members on the team that actually liked the direction, the structure. And that made me realize that one of the biggest transition that you need to make when you start managing a team is really to understand how every different person get managed. Now, I grew up in the 90s. Um, I grew up in an era where I was trained that my job was to adapt myself to the style of my manager and adapt my work style to the style of the manager. I believe that the complexity, the different skill set required in the current environment and to a certain extent, the cultural shift of the past 20 years have actually turned that paradigm on its head. Now, successful managers are those who take the time to understand the work style, the communication style of each one of their team members and caters the way that they run with the team to each person's skills. So when I talk about this perspective as a selfless perspective and selfless towards the team, it really talks about putting the perspective of each individual member of the team ahead of the perspective of the manager. Okay, let's now move to the third and final point, which is the idea of accountability. Obviously, you've not gotten to this spot of being upper-level manager if you have not been accountable as an individual to the organization and to the people that you've reported to. There's a shift in the way that accountability works when you get to upper, upper middle-upper-level management. First of all, you're now accountable for your whole group and not just for yourself, which means that great leaders are able to leave the credit of the success of their team to their team. And then they're also even more importantly, are able and willing to take accountability when things go wrong and that's a trade that is really, really essential to create success for the team because knowing that there's a level of trust that once a leader, once a team leader tells the team, okay, I'm willing to do this and understands the risks and is willing to shield the team um, in case things don't work out the way they should work out, that actually creates a level of trust and an ability for the team to take risks that they would not be able to take otherwise, which may lead to some bump on the road every once in a while, but in the long run often bring to better results and more innovation. The second side of the accountability is that whereas you may have gotten used before to just being accountable to people above you, you're now also accountable to your team. What does it mean to be accountable to your team? it means first of all to be willing to be transparent and to share information with them honestly um, obviously without breaking you know, there are points where there is confidential information that cannot be shared for the team but being willing to be transparent with the team when things are challenging in the long run also will buy a lot of trust and then the other side of the accountability to the team is a willingness to keep everybody in the team accountable to whatever standards have been set up for the team and to be willing to take action if there are members of the team that are either not performing or behaving in a way that is not consistent with the values of the firm and the values that are being set for the team to actually being able to take action and give the team confidence that everybody on the team will be held accountable and will pour their weight so these are the two sides of accountability and with that um, we're going to close this conversation these are just some thought starters at some point uh, by no mean i am you know claiming that this is the full range of things that you should consider as you're shifting into an upper middle manager role and sort of like as a, as a high potential performer but Hopefully it's been a great starter for you to give you a framework to think about it. So just to quickly summarize it first, we talked about the need for introspection, self analysis, both outlining your values and then outlining your skills and making sure that the way you are operating in that role is consistent with your skills and values in a way that really truly ultimately benefits you and the company. The second part that we talked about is this idea of selflessness, selflessness towards the company and selflessness towards your team. And then finally, we talked about accountability, accountability towards the company and accountability towards your team. So this concludes our episode and we're gonna roll straight into the final credits. As usual, if you enjoyed this episode, please find somebody who you think may enjoy it and tell them to listen to it. And if you love the podcast, please tell everybody about it post about it on social media every little bit helps make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast in your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode and if you happen to listen on a platform that allows reviews like apple podcasts audible good pods please leave us a five-star rating and a stellar review you can find more information for the podcast on the website the website is located at al4ep.com, Spell with the number 4. You can email me at dino at al4ep. And make sure that you follow us in all the social channels on Twitter and Instagram. The handle is at al4edp, so with the letter D. And on Facebook, you can find us at Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was written, recorded, produced, and edited by me, Dino Cattaneo. The theme music was composed, produced, arranged and recorded by Nicolas Catania, who also played drums and keyboards, with assistance from Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And this time we're going to close the episode a little differently. We're just going to let the music go a little bit. Thank you very much and see you next week.